The call on the ice stands. We got to go. Up the colors. We are set to go. Let's roll, boys. Come on, let's get going. We are kicking. Here we go. Oh, guys, five minutes each for fighting. Watch the blue. Play the puck. Run to it. After further review, it's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Yeah, baby. Here's your hosts, Todd Lewis and Josh Smith. Okay, gentlemen, play ball. Let's go. All right, guys, let's drop the puck. The all-star rosters, the all-star coaches have been finalized. We'll see if there's any last-minute changes coming up. I know there's a great deal of anticipation because the event is in Toronto this year. But Josh, I I saw the reveal of the All-Star jerseys. I'm okay with them. I think they're kind of cool. They're bright and shiny and all the rest of it. What I do want is the refs to get the same treatment. We got to have something just as dramatic. I want to have something cool. And we've seen in the past, they've tried some interesting things at All-Star Games. I don't know if you remember, at one point they switched from the orange armbands to the silver armbands for the All-Star Game. And we've seen the, the retro sweaters in some of the outdoor games, but... Why not have a little fun with it? We know what the players are going to be wearing. Let's let's give the officials something exciting to wear. I, I'm not optimistic it's going to happen, Todd, but I, I really would love to see an imagine a reimagining of uh, what the stripes could look like for All-Star, especially given the uh, unique design approach that they've gone with this year for the players. Bieber-influenced ref jerseys. I'm telling you, you'd sell a whole bunch of them. It's all about the merchandise sales. I think it would happen. This is the Scouting the Rest podcast. Please make sure you follow us on the social channels. You will find Josh and all the information he dispenses on X and on Instagram at Scouting the Refs. You'll find me at Todd Lewis Sports on both X and Instagram as well. On this week's episode, there's a lot of touching. It's where you touch and who does the touching and what you touch with. Uh, we also will dive into some clean, hard hits and one that probably should have been penalized and was. Hey, it's always fun when you get a, a questionable hit and the guy who delivers the hit is the one who ends up dripping blood as he leaves the ice. <laughs> <laughs> it does make it interesting, doesn't it? Okay, let's go back a, a little bit to the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Edmonton Oilers game. Two highly skilled teams, a physical game, a fun contest, the kind that everybody likes to see every night with an offside challenge that really didn't, uh, to me, seem to take very long, and I can understand why. Zach Hyman pops in a goal as a, a quick response to a Toronto goal that has been scored. However, very quickly after the play has finished, the Maple Leafs are looking at replays um, because the puck went out of the offensive zone and then back in, and turns out it came back in illegally. It can be come back into the zone legally, but this one was offside. Yeah, this this one was. And it's unfortunate because it's a beautiful goal by Hyman, who seems to be snake bit when it comes to coaches' challenges. This is the third disallowed goal for Hyman in the past week. He had two against Chicago. So the poor guy is scoring goals, but his teammates are letting him down. On this one, it's like you said, Todd, the puck can leave the zone, but how it comes back in is the issue here. If a defending player pushes it back into the defensive zone, then it's a legal onside play. Everybody's allowed to play the puck. In this case, it deflected off an attacking player outside the zone. It was Evan Bouchard, goes back in, and that makes Hyman offside. So it was a great catch, uh, unfortunate for the Oilers, but uh, the, the right call was made on this play. 
Yes, uh, that's it's kind of interesting that Zach Hyman has so many goals called back because of offside challenge. He is clearly leading in this cal category this year, don't you think? Absolutely. I don't think any single player has had more called back. It's, it's a tough spot to be in because he's doing the work. He's putting in the time. He's got the skills and it's just not working out for him. So hopefully he gets off the schneid and scores some goals that will actually be allowed to stand after a coach's challenge or review. Another goal that was allowed to stand and again involves touching. This one involving a stick and the touching and where it all happens involves the New Jersey Devils and the Montreal Canadiens. It is the Habs' Nick Suzuki who skillfully reroutes the puck from behind the net out in front to his teammate, Uri Slavkovsky who puts it in the net. This is some uh, skilled handiwork by Nick Suzuki here. This is a fancy play. This is a nice move and it is perfectly legal. You can watch it. It all comes down to timing because you are allowed to play the puck with a high stick as long as it's contacting the puck below the shoulders. So when you watch the deflection here, it's the, the blade of his stick is down. The, the contact actually is just below shoulder height, gets it into the slot and results in a goal. So a smart play, if he bats it earlier, it's above shoulder height, it's going to be no goal, but he waited until the puck was low enough to play, made a legal, beautiful play, pass to the shot that bounces right to a teammate. So smart thinking there. It's, it's that kind of play, that kind of hockey IQ that you need to have, especially as it relates to the rule book to know, hey, I have to wait until it's below shoulder height. And just a reminder, because it's a pass, it can the stick can be up a little bit higher. If he's shooting it into the net or batting it into the net, the stick can't be higher than the crossbar, correct? Absolutely. And that gets confusing sometimes for folks because it, it depends on what happens next. If you're playing the puck to a teammate, it's shoulder height, which varies by player. And it comes down to the player's natural shoulder height. So sometimes when you have guys in different positions or leaning out, there's a little more leeway for interpretation on where their shoulder height exactly is. When it's a puck that's hitting a stick and going right into the net, we're looking clearly at the crossbar there. So it's that four foot height off the ice that is the determining factor. And in either situation, not one that's easy to measure, at least not until we have puck tracking to tell us how high the puck is off the ice. Yes, yes. Uh, once again, this is another area where technology could prove to be helpful. All right, uh, let's jump back in and talk more about Toronto because we haven't talked enough about uh, Toronto in this episode. In the Calgary-Toronto game, Andrew Mangiapane kicks the puck towards the Toronto goal. However, there is a reason that this goal is allowed to stand. Should we dive into the legalities of this? Because I thought that kicking the puck into the net was illegal, Josh. Oh, we should. And and this is not Mangiapane's first kick. So he's been here before. He knows what these kicked goals are like. He's had some stand and he's had some disallowed. But this, Todd, was a clear kick. There's no question when you look at his skate there, he's kicking with one skate. He kicks with his left skate, deflects it over to his right skate, and that sends the puck down across the goal line. So it's not really up for debate whether or not there was a kick. Like we said before, the, the question is what happens next? Because you can see that clearly there's a loose puck. He kicks it. Obviously, he wants to play it. The problem is the Toronto Maple Leafs were the ones who touched it. And that changes things a little bit because now you've got a kicked puck, but it wasn't directly in. It was played by Liljegren. And, and the problem there is that rule 49.2 says that a kicked puck that deflects off the stick of any player, except the goalkeeper, shall be ruled a good goal. So by attempting to keep the puck out of the net, by stopping the puck, by almost nearly keeping it out of the net, 
what would have been a disallowed goal for being kicked in becomes a legal goal because it deflected off of his stick. It's really a, an unfortunate play. You're trying to do the right thing as a defenseman. You're trying to keep the puck out of the net. And uh, I'm sure that this one would not have counted had it gone directly in. But that play by the defender is what makes this a legal goal, which is bad news for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Okay, so for future reference, any player kicking the puck, you want to make it a bank <laughs> shot. Think out, think billiards and and have the bank shots go into the net. That's the only way it's legal. Hey, you know what? That's a, a smart way to think about it. We've seen guys do that too. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It depends. If it deflects off another player's skates or their, or their body, we could be looking at no goal. But if it deflects off a stick, that's going to stand. So, you know, you have guys when there's a crowd in front, sometimes you kick the puck into the crease and hope you get a lucky bounce. That's pretty much what happened for Mangiapane here. Yeah, certainly is. Okay, another incident in this same game. It's Calgary's Connor Zeri who scores midway through the third period. But the Toronto Maple Leafs thought something didn't look quite right on this particular play. So they start having a look at the video, call a timeout, get a little more looks, a few more looks at the video. And Toronto challenges for a missed stoppage. And Turns out it's a little tough to see, but there was a hand pass on the play and there was a missed stoppage. There was. It was, I'll tell you, I didn't spot it the first time or the second time or the third time through. And <laughs> I don't think the, the broadcast crew did either. But when you look back at the play, you can see that there's a clearing attempt that's happening. And what happens as the puck comes off the stick is that Blake Coleman sticks his glove out and tries to deflect it. He's successful. He does. It goes right to his teammate, goes to Jordan Esterly, who sets up the goal. And this one is also not allowed because you're allowed to stop or bat a puck. But when you deflect it to a teammate or you gain a territorial advantage, it's going to be disallowed or it's play is going to be whistled down for a hand pass, which in this case results in that missed stoppage and no goal on the play. So had the puck been played by a member of the Maple Leafs, we're, we're okay here. Had the puck cleared the zone, no problem. But because it went to a teammate and then led to a goal, this is what the NHL wants to have eligible for coaches challenge. And this is what got that goal wiped out completely. Good work by the video team to uh, yeah. pick up on that and and be able to find that and that it was clearly visible to the officials after after the play. So yeah, and again, kudos kudos to the, the Toronto Maple Leafs team, Todd, because the video crew, Sheldon Keefe, they are nailing things. They're four for four on challenges this season, so they are on top of it. He's got the right guys there. They know what to look for. They whether they've consulted with the league or the rule book or just dedicated to their craft. Since Keefe has gotten behind the bench in Toronto, they've gone 18 for 21 on coaches' challenges. So I know some teams have really found this as a way to take advantage and a way to stay in games. And they've wiped out 18 goals purely based on coaches' challenges since Keefe stepped behind the bench. So you have to credit them and the entire coaching staff for finding those opportunities. And this one was huge. And we've got a game-tying goal that gets wiped out, or you've got a close game you're counting on your video team to do what they can and good for them for being able to actually have an impact and leverage what the NHL has given them when it comes to coaches challenges as a way to help the team. Most importantly for the league as well is they get the calls right. Sometimes yeah. the video review does take a little longer, but it, but it's worth it if you get the call right. So I, I, I have no issue with it, with these. I think this is, I think it's working as it's supposed to. Yeah. And I'll, I'll ask you, Todd, do you, do you think we need to keep it up to the teams? I think you, mentioned getting the call right and that's what the league wants to do i think it's been interesting that we've left it in the hands of the coaches on when do we challenge when do we do it and and some fans have come back and said well if we want to get the calls right why don't we make everything an automatic challenge why don't we just have every goal reviewed why don't we let the league do it instead of leaving it up to the coaches are, are you a fan of giving it to the coaches or do you want to see everyone get reviewed 
Well, every goal is looked at to make sure that the puck enters legally. Right. And it's a question of, was there a missed stoppage? Like we, like we talked about something like that. I'm okay with having a, a, a coach's challenge for, I don't think we need to dive into the five minute review for each goal score, right. because that will drive everyone crazy. I'm, I'm okay with the way it is. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I think when we've talked about with, Where's the line? And folks get mad at offside challenges that take forever. And they said, we only want to review the obvious ones. We only want these for, you know, it shouldn't take that long. I think giving the coaches that power and, and the penalty, if they're wrong, I think that's proven to be a pretty good threshold there based on the accuracy. We're at almost 90% of coaches challenges for offside that they're getting it right. It seems like that's been a good control to say, we only want to spend this time on the obvious ones. Well, if it's not obvious enough for the coaching staff to figure it out, then we're not going to make the refs take a look. I, I feel like that's been a pretty solid approach. I think the league is actually getting that right and keeping the reviews at a an acceptable level. I still yeah. hate that when a goal is scored, you hold your breath and you go, are they are they going to challenge? And and maybe we need to put in a 30-second timer to say, hey, coach, you're on the clock. You've got 30 seconds to decide if you want to challenge or not. I think maybe that could help a little bit, but... I think we're in a pretty good place, honestly. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we need to change anything right now. So you know so that someone's going to take thirty-two seconds at some point. If you <laughs> oh no! Clock so, and then that's again a whole other problem. We're gonna we're gonna challenge how long the coach took to, to review. The yeah, that's where we're gonna we're gonna review the review. The other the other bench is like he was at thirty-one <laughs> seconds. <laughs> it's when did we start the clock? Do we? Yeah, okay, that's what we need. okay. We've got a, We've got some time. I want to take a look at a couple of different hits that have taken place this week because we always talk about hits that are legal, hits that are illegal, and there was a couple of good uh, a good hits delivered and one that did bring about some penalties. So let's start with the good first. And again, Maple Leafs, Detroit Red Wings, Morgan Riley has a, a nice demonstration on how to chase down a player, get body position in front of them, and then deliver a hard hit as he does here against Joe Valeno. The puck is going up the ice and Morgan Riley does a great job here to deliver a hard legal hit and spring the puck loose. I don't have an issue with this play. I don't have an issue with this hit. I, it's it's high. It's hard. It doesn't appear to be targeting the head. So, I mean, this is one of the ones that you want to watch for, but it doesn't leave his skates. We, we can't look at charging. We can't look at boarding on this play. This is one of those high, hard hits that I, I really don't have a problem with. Same. This is a, a hard legal check, good, tough physical hockey that that everybody wants to see. Now, the next one we want to look at involves the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Anaheim Ducks. And Emil Martinson Lilberg delivers oh. an enormous hit to Anaheim's Brett Leeson. And again, this is a bold, huge, blow em up kind of hit, but it's not an illegal hit. This is a hard body check. Yeah, I, I thought the same thing on this one. I mean, we look at the contact there. He is blowing him up. It is a, a hard hit. It's right through the body, though. It's not targeting the head. It's not one of those hits where we're looking at uh, what I would say would be intentional head contact or, or a situation where the head was being targeted on the play. And that's where I fall, Todd, into the specifics of Rule 48 for a legal check to the head. It considers those factors. Did the player attempt to hit squarely through the opponent's body or did they try to pick the head or did the opponent put him in a, himself in a vulnerable position? As in this case, he's reaching forward, his skating stride lowers his head a little bit. He didn't really change his body position, but when you account for those two factors and you look at where the hit was delivered, I, I think this is one that it is a legal body check. I think there is or there may be some head contact as a result, but it's that type of contact where it's unavoidable. It's delivering a legal check that results potentially in head contact, 
And that brings us to rule 48 overall. The rule is illegal check to the head, which implies that unlike the double IHF, some checks to the head, some head contact in the NHL is legal. And uh, I think this is one of those situations where you're looking at a shoulder to chest hit that whether there is contact or whether it's the head just whipping back as a result of the collision, I, I think this one's a good one, a scary one, and a, a potential injury on this play, of course, because anytime you have a hit like this, there's the risk of injury, but that doesn't make it an illegal hit. Yeah, Leeson did leave the game. He's uh, listed as day-to-day, but I, I agree with you. This is that, and where the, the phrase targeting the head is often used, and that is clearly not the case here from uh, the Tampa player. He's trying to deliver a hard, thundering hit but he is in no way, shape, or form targeting the head of Brett Leeson. Right. And one other piece, as the NHL has refined Rule 48 over the years, talking about the head as the main point of contact or the primary point of contact or the initial point of contact, right now under the rule, it is considered whether the head is the main point of contact. And on this play, I could argue that the chest is the main point of contact and there may be head contact. But Again, that's that's it's not a target. It's not necessarily illegal for there to be some head contact. So we've seen the tweaks that the league has made to the rule, and I think they're they're happy with where it is. And under that rule, I, I think no penalty is the right call here. Okay, so the first two were legal hits. Now let's get to the illegal and penalized hit. That would be Yanni Gord, who delivers a big one on Matthias Ekholm. The Kraken forward was a bit agitated on this play because of some earlier stick work, and he decides he's going to take it out on Matthias Ekholm here. And uh, obviously the scrum ensues. There's pushing, there's shoving, and all the rest of it. But again, this to me is easy to see that this is, well, you could call it charging, you could call it boarding, call it whatever you want, but it's a major penalty. Absolutely. And the league took a chance, well, the officials, I should should say, took the chance to review the play. The league only facilitates the review. They don't actually weigh in from the situation room. It's up to the referees on the ice, who in this case, Steve Kazari and Chris Lee, who made the call that clearly what they felt was a major for charging was the right penalty on this play. It's it's a tough hit. It's a high hit. I mean, he's he's going towards him. He leaves his skates, and, and the contact there is the head driving Ekholm's face into the glass. Nobody's happy about that. Even Connor McDavid, who gets into the middle of the fracas here. So I, I think this was a good one. I don't think, Todd, that this rises to the level of supplemental discipline, but I, I think that the major penalty was the right call for charging on this one. And uh, and you see Gord, he got the worst of it there. I think it was actually a, a, a high <laughs> stick, an unintentional one that clips him in the eyebrow, but he gets the 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 worst part here, and uh, Ekholm not uh, not bloody, but Gord is after this well deserved major penalty call. It's not delivered directly through the numbers. You're right; he does jump up a little bit. It's not a plaster him against the boards, but the the major penalty is a correct call, and I, I think that's where it ends. I don't think there's any any other discipline. But do you know what? It's been awfully quiet, and I haven't seen any suspensions. I haven't seen any <laughs> fines in some time. This is a bit, a bit unusual, isn't it? I It makes me wonder, Todd, is player safety working? Then I, I don't mean, are they doing their jobs? <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I see. What you <laughs> They're <mean>. still, on, <laughs> still on holiday break. They're just taking time off. They're re- relaxing. No, no, no. Is, is it working from a league standpoint? Are we seeing that the suspensions, the fines, uh, even the increase in match penalties that we've had called earlier this year, are those starting to have an effect on the way players are playing the game? Did they see the the flood that we had in October and November and say, you know what, we know where the line is. We know that these are going to be suspendable offenses or finable offenses, and we're staying just, just on the right side of that line to make sure we're not getting in front of player safety. Is it actually working as intended where 
players are safer because of what we saw handed out earlier this season? I don't know, but I guess we'll just keep turning the uh, turning the numbers over to how many days since the last <laughs> suspension, and we'll see how high we can go. There's a streak for everything of wins, goals, points, and stuff. This will be the latest. One. Hey, we used to have a counter going for how many days since the Tom Wilson suspension because it was it was. <laughs> I mean, no offense to Tom Wilson, but he kind of had a thing going there for a while. Good stuff, man. Way to work. Get in the box. It's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Read more at scoutingtherefs.com. Follow Scouting the Refs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Email the show at heyref at scoutingtherefs.com. You're good, my book. Subscribe, share, and keep those sticks down. That's good play.